the global co-working and conference community, we've had our fingers on the pulse of co-working since 2012, and we've connected thousands of operators, both in person and online. On the Juicy Podcast, we talk with the people making it happen day in and day out. Let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We have Kevin Whelan, who's from Ireland, I just found out today, of Everspaces with us this morning. And Kevin, how are you? I don't want to hear about your business. I want to hear about how you are as a human being. Oh, my goodness. I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Liz, for having me. And yeah, I just had my my, my youngest daughter just turned one. So I'm starting to come out of <gasps> the, the the phase of exhaustion and you know coming out of post-COVID and, and two young babies in that period of time. So starting to feel like a human again getting some sleep. So we had a good time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You look very rested. So that's amazing for two youngins. Good for you. And how is your business doing post COVID? My business is doing great. There's everyone needs marketing. So I'm in a fortunate position that it's kind of an evergreen challenge and it got actually very busy during COVID. I thought my business was going to get demolished being in the co-working mm-hmm. industry, but you know, everyone was like, okay, we need to take this marketing thing seriously just after the initial shock of, of that phase. So it's been very busy and steady ever since and clients tend to stay with me for a while. So it makes my job easier on the marketing side for my own business. And so my business is going great. Knock on wood, thankfully, especially now in this year, uh, we had a little bit of a lull and I think everyone may have felt that in the economy. And mm-hmm. I think as the economy feels like we're a little less trepidant, I think everyone's just very nervous of a potential, this so-called recession that people are feeling in different mm-hmm. levels. But I feel like there's a bit more blossoming occurring again. And so maybe it's uh, cautious optimism, but that's what I'm seeing on my side. And that usually correlates with the, the industry at large as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and talk a little bit about what you do at Everspaces. So I'm a solo marketing consultant. And so I help co-working spaces get full. That's my value proposition. And unlike an agency where I would essentially do everything for clients, I'm more like a uh, like a kind of a fractional chief marketing officer or advisor is really my, my role. And I help clients make all the decisions as it relates to marketing, how to create good strategy, how to measure everything, what to you know, how to build out websites and, and everything involving their marketing and then how to measure it all and, and make sure that what they're putting in is coming out with a profitable outcome. So if it relates to attracting new members, I'm involved in it in some way. And I've got a pretty well, well proven kind of methodology of, you know, over a hundred kind of discrete things that I like to make sure we kind of do. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, every client is different. Every situation is different, but my goal is to help them figure out what's the right plan for them, whether you're a small solo single operator or a multi-location expanding into new markets operator. There's a lot of similarities and then a lot of unique factors for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, I'm curious, what made you drill down and focus on co-working? Yeah, it's a good question. I get asked that quite a bit. It's kind of kind of an odd industry to sort of double down in, <laughs> you know, you know, for outsiders, that is. I worked with IQ offices as one of my first kind of mm-hmm. in- entries into the industry. And I was a B2B kind of marketing agency at the time. And then I converted my business to advisory work and consulting. And IQ was kind of my first victim. And so I was like, hey, you guys are hiring me to do agency work. What if I, you know, and now you're growing and you're scaling, you're at two going on five and then many more locations. What if I just, you know, looks like you're kind of struggling to maintain all these moving parts and you're not quite big enough to have an in-house marketing manager. 
why don't I manage it for you? And instead of marking up other people's time, I'll introduce you to everybody and set up your marketing system so that when you get a little bit bigger, you can hire a marketing manager who takes the reins and runs with all the people you need, all the systems. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like a, I was, I was there kind of like a fractional CMO at the time. And I would basically manage everything for them. And uh, I asked Kane, who's, who's a great operator uh, one day, I said, Hey, what would you think if I kind of specialized in your industry? Is this a good idea or a bad one? And he was over the moon. He's very supportive, very generous mm -hmm. uh, person overall. I think you definitely met him a few times. He's been on your panels. And so he was like, yeah, I would love it. In fact, it would be even better. You'd bring all this wisdom from the the, the industry and that would make our yeah. business more effective. And, and so I was a little surprised. I'm like, is he going to think I'm going to give away his secrets? And, and it was the opposite. And there are really no secrets. It's just execution. And so, yeah, I got, that's how I got into it. And then, you know, one thing led to the next and I was introduced to people and slowly built up my roster and then built a specialization and a, an entire practice in the co-working space. Yeah, I love it because like, you know, once people get into co-working, they tend to stay in it because I think the thing is about this industry is I think it, because we're a hospitality industry, I think it just attracts people that care about people and, you know, people genuinely care about each other and thus the CEOs care about each other and the founders care about each other. And, you know, we figured out a long time ago, there's enough demand for everybody and we don't have to be competitors we can be collaborators. Yeah, I mean, the industry, the market is going towards flexibility. The, the co-working has this unique combination of, like you said, hospitality and that's mm -hmm. what people are looking for that level of service, but it's got the unique combination of more convenience. So it's easier for the, for the consumer to get into officing rather than signing long-term leases and fitting out the space and managing it mm -hmm. all themselves. So it's more convenient, but then also the outcome, the quality of the product that they get is often better than the one that they would have created themselves just because they're not, we're not, you know, the average business owner and their facilities manager or small business, they're not, they're not office designers. And so, so that's, you know, it's been great that uh, the co-working industry has kind of grown as a result of that. And I was stuck to it and attracted to it in the beginning because of that sense of community and that sense of service. And I've got a hospitality background in my younger days. Mm -hmm. So it all kind of aligned. It's one of the things that, that drew me to it too. I love it. So having gotten under the covers of a few co-working spaces, I would love to hear what are some things that we consistently get wrong? I think a lot of people start co-working spaces with the notion that everyone is the customer. And so I'm not necessarily a proponent unless you're in some downtown New York you know, location where it's highly competitive. I'm not necessarily saying that everyone needs to niche, but I think we just have to be really clear on what's the, who's the ideal segment and customer for our product. Um, and so, and then finding a gap that better serves them. So whether that is psychographic, what they care about, whether they're health focused, small businesses who spend their own money versus corporate teams who are spending someone else's money. Uh, and then what is the identity factors at play? I think there's just so much packed into it. And so I think the best thing someone could do is focus more on who is our ideal customer profile? How do we build our products mm -hmm. or services or offering around them? And know that, that, the, that the target is not the market. You're still going to get all kinds of people coming to you. You don't have to exclude any anyone. You don't have to niche down onto one very specific vertical, um, but you do want to get clear on who that one or two best client is and build your business around mm -hmm. it much in the same way that I did with, with uh, co-working. Yeah. Love that. Love that. And then what do we consistently get right? I think people are pretty good at, at providing service to, to their members and knowing that they're in this business of hospitality, like you were mentioning in service. And the most successful operators are in that business of how do we make people feel when they walk in the door? And so that you know, they're not just like a, it's not just a door with a, a number on it. Like there's a, there's an experience going on that reflects on you and you know, both as a consumer, as well as your, your presence, your professional presence as a, as a professional, whatever you do. 
And so I think, I think the, the co-working industry by and large has adopted that hospitality mentality really, really well and has made mm-hmm. people, has, has created an experience that is not found in typical, even traditional offices in many cases. So, yeah. yeah, it's interesting because I do think that we get that right a lot. But lately, I've been seeing a lot of operators getting it wrong in that they are putting up like it. I keep seeing a note in a frame that's like, hey, we stepped away from our desk. Call this number or we'll be back in five minutes. It's like that's a fail when you're greeted by a note. You should always be greeted by a human. I agree. I agree. And I think part of the, the, the industry can be broken down, like we talked about, around the experience element and the convenience element. So if you're going to mm-hmm. be more of a convenience play, think of like Planet Fitness, where it's like you're, it's inexpensive, it's ubiquitous, it's a big box. Yep. You know, it's kind of like, you know, turn people through, hope you don't use it kind of thing. Um, that's, <laughs> there, there's a place for that, right? But I think if you, you're either in the experience business or the convenience business, co-working is a bit of both. But if you're, mm-hmm. you're going to kind of give up on the experience, you better be ready to make your space way more convenient, which usually means cheaper. And that's kind of a race to the bottom. So you're better off totally. focusing on the experience element and upping that bar and making everything about how do you make people feel? And because mm-hmm. we're in an experiential business at the end of the day, convenience, yes, functionally, but, but it, yeah, I think the more you lean into that experience element, the more successful you'll be. And some people lose sight of that. They just think it's, oh, totally. we provided the space and that's not it. And it's like, and it's, and it is how you feel, but it's also what you smell. It's what you see. It's, yep. it's, you know, it's like everything it's around the vibe, that. the vibe, the aura, mm-hmm. you know, like that's, mm-hmm. that's like a thing that is like a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll class clients. Like if I haven't been able to visit them yet, I'll say, what's the, what's your lemon factor? What's the thing that you're not telling me that makes your space not that good. <laughs> and, uh, but part of it is like, is picking up on the vibe. And sometimes a social media video really conveys a vibe of a space better than mm-hmm. photos on a website. So like social media, often people are better at marketing on social media than their website for that reason. Cause video really brings space to life, but it's really about how people feel the total experience of a thing, including the aura, the experience. That's the thing that really, that is intangible and and isn't visible on paper. And you only feel Mm -hmm. it when you come in for a tour. And that's what we need to be optimizing for. How do you feel when you walk into the space? And a lot of it comes down to who's the owner of the business and who have they put at that front desk? Because those two factors are going to create a lot of the vibe. It's the Mm -hmm. culture, right? Of how people feel, Mm -hmm. how people are treated. And then like you were mentioning, the smell, the sights, whether there's plants, natural light, those are all big factors as well. But that vibe is the hardest thing to nail. It is. Especially as you grow. Yeah, definitely. And I think it also goes hand in hand with, you know, how you build community, right? You can't point to it. You can't, you can't measure it really. You just got to have it. Yeah. Yeah, you do. And, and the community will mean something different depending on who you're serving. Right. So it goes back to like, if you're dealing with, you know, a certain type of clientele, they want community they have access to, but don't feel like they need, like they need to be fully committed to every single activity that you do. So you have to Mm -hmm. design your things in a way that pulls people out, makes them feel like they're among peers so that you're, it's not too Mm -hmm. disjointed while not being uh, overly, you know, homogenous. We don't want it to be this, like, you don't want to be all Mm -hmm. one type of person, but at the same time, you have to create a culture that, that serves them in the way that they want to be served. And that's where it gets a little bit mm-hmm. tough to quantify, right? You don't, that's why you can't point to community and say, well, everyone showed up for this lunch and learn. So there must be community. It's more like <laughs> how engaged, how, how well do people know each other? How, you know, do they participate after hours? Do they like each other? Yeah. Have uh, we done yeah, a good job bringing really the right in- people in? Hey there, popping on to make sure you've heard our latest news. Juicy is going global again. In 2023, you'll be able to find us in the UK, Canada, and Australia. If you're ready to level up your co-working and flex space business, Juicy's the place to be. We've got top-notch speakers, amazing networking opportunities, and the best service providers in the industry. 
For more information about our upcoming conferences, please visit gcuc.co. See you soon. It was interesting when I had my co-working space in Austin, we were having a really hard time getting people to events. And so we're, we're like, well, let's survey them, right? And we surveyed them and it was hilarious what came back. And what came back was, we like your events. We want you to do events. We don't want to go to your events. <laughs> well, it's like one of those like amenities that you have. They're like, we like the idea of that amenity, like a gym that no one uses or uh, yeah. some, people, some people do with their spaces. It's like, we like the idea of that, but that's what, that's why you have to create their type of events that is easy and casual. For, for if that's your particular kind of clientele mm-hmm. who wants to keep their head down, maybe it's right in the morning when, you know, so they can grab a coffee and a croissant and say, Hey, for 20 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, that's, or like a lunch, like let's do a little five, 20 minute walk, whatever. You have to kind of accommodate the person, not overly impose your community. Community totally. can be a very subtle thing. Like I'm in, in community with my neighbors, but I would never make them go and do a street party. You know, like it's mm-hmm. like we, you know, the community is sort of created by individuals and, you know, so it's a subtle, it can be subtle or it can be very important, like mm-hmm. central to the, to the experience, but it always exists whether you're nurturing it yeah. or not. So I was looking at your website and I noticed you, you do a lot of focus on websites and through the Juicy community, we do website audits where we go through with a community member and we ask people to interact and talk about, and we go through a website and we look at all the things and it's really fun and it's really informative. And so I was thinking about, you know, one of the things that that we see most often is outdated photos. Like I'm talking about like, what are the top things that we're getting wrong on websites? So I see outdated photos, photos with people with masks, like take them down. The other thing is not enough use of video. Video is a fantastic thing you can do. And then the third that I see all the time that is one of my new things I'm harping on is everybody's like, we have Wi-Fi, we have phone booths, we have chairs. And it's like, yeah, so does everybody else. Like what are like really getting out what makes you different back to like know who your customer is. So those are some of the things that I see super consistently. And I was um, curious, what are the things you see super consistently that like we're getting wrong on a website? Because here's the other thing, people, your website is your calling card. This is the first place most people see you. So like, if it's not awesome, you know, stop paying your sister-in-law's nephew to do your website, like get real on that. Yeah. I think in terms of mistakes, you see a lot of people who have been successful for a long time and they haven't needed to work very hard. So their market, their website might be kind of outdated and that's okay if your business is doing fine. I'm not a believer of redesign something that's working. Uh, That said, you know, we invest millions. You know, I have one client that just put, I think two or $3 million into their newest location. Like, Why would you spend less than 20,000 on a website or 10,000 or whatever the number that is appropriate for you. But it's, it's really baffling to me how, uh, you know, how important it is to invest in the space physically. And then, and sometimes how little attention or resources are allocated to a website. So, you know, so I just want to remind people that you're exactly right, Liz, the, the website and the photos, which can also live on Google, my business and other things that people do look at are so important. And even before you launch getting high quality renderings are really important and videos once you launch and making the videos human and friendly and more like a, an Instagram reel than necessarily a corporate video, unless that's your target market. So in terms of other mistakes, it's just, yeah. Um, yeah, I think those are, I think the, the making it, bringing it up to a standard that you would hold through the rest of your business to is really important. And ideally there's a live chat or some, or, or divisible phone number that you can call and talk to someone pretty quickly mm-hmm. uh, because that's going to, it's part of that service, part of that experience element. You want people who are interested to be able to get an answer immediately or right away. Right. Yeah. And I know 
I'm, I, I also think I see a failure a lot where people have buried the phone number. Like it needs to be static at the top. If somebody yeah. wants to talk to you, you better be picking up that phone. And then, yeah, it's interesting on the chat. I really like a chat, but I, but it's got to be a useful chat. You've got to put in all the work to train whomever's on that chat to make sure that it's good. Yeah. And, and, and be active on it. So if you're going to use your own thing like Drift, having everyone in your organization have access to the chat on their phones so that there's an app mm-hmm. installed so they get notified so they can reply right away. And if you can't get back right away, the question is then do you outsource it? There's tools now like Comversion, which are becoming more popular in the space, which are automated and offshore wherever they're located, which has pros and cons, but there's an immediacy factor, at least captures the lead, gives some information, mm-hmm. carries it over and someone can get some quick answers quickly. And then ideally you want to take all those questions that people are asking and put as many of them onto your website as possible and help create an informed buyer. I don't believe in withholding information and make people reach out. So you have the lead, I believe, give them as much information as you can uh, and they'll reach out if they're interested, if they're a good quality fit. Yeah. Like a great FAQ is fantastic. Like let them go find the answers. So that's a really good feedback as well. And then the other thing I was curious about just because it's a buzzy thing right now is um, how are you utilizing AI in your business? Yeah, good question. I'm using it a lot for client calls, number one, which isn't super pertinent with with your audience. But what I do with those, I use a tool called fathom.video and it it records the call on Zoom and then gives you an AI summary with timestamps on the back end. I have, I use Otter and I love it. Perfect. Yeah, I haven't used that one, but I love the summary features and the timestamps. You can come back and track things. So if you're you're working with consultants or agencies or freelancers, it's good to record that stuff just so you can come back and reference things later on. It's becoming Mm -hmm. more of a norm to include these note taker apps. Uh, In terms of AI, other use cases, I'll sometimes run things through for editing sake I'll say can you review this and look for inconsistencies mm. errors that kind of thing and uh, I'm also like for example if I'm doing a training I'll say okay here's the thing I'm trying to say here here's my ideas what am I missing or what are what's the business case oh. for? what's the case for this and what's the case against this so I'll check to make mm-hmm. sure there's no ideas that I'm just not thinking about that makes sense and then I'll put it in my own words but also what's the counter argument to what I'm saying so I've put a few mm. of these things these opinionated Ooh. stances that I've had into chat GPT and I'm like write the counter argument and frankly counter argument's been a lot better and it's been really uh, disheartening. Uh, but no, it's mm-hmm. you know, these are philosophical questions that are worth exploring. So it helps really check your thinking as well. Like, oh, and it's been really good uh, that way. So yeah, tightening up stuff. People are writing full articles. I don't believe in just letting chat or GPT or any AI write your stuff. I think garbage yeah. and garbage out. I think it's all about you know, create structure, create the inputs that you really want and then have it assist in optimizing it. And mm-hmm. those are the big ones. And then I'm looking at video editing tools and other things that are less relevant again to the co-working space. Yeah. Yeah. I use it for some research and it's been phenomenal. Like, you know, tell me, tell me about the, you know, real estate market in Philadelphia or tell me like, and compare it to this market. And like, it's just research wise, it's, it's been helpful for me. And I have had it write some stuff, but I then go and you know, fix it and change it. And because, you know, there are also tools that are checking to see that if you're like, I can now tell, like if something's written by AI, I'm like, "Mm, I think that was, yeah. And on that point, it kind of ruins trust. If I think something's written by AI, even if it's not, even if it's not, I I don't just discount the content. I discount the person publishing it. Yeah. The source, right. So people are smart and, you know, you have to be careful with that kind of stuff. But, you know, even with research, it can give you some outdated info, you know, so you have to be careful. I think newer chat GPT-4s are coming out with the ability to search and provide more relevant up-to-date information. So like I use it more for like sparring thought 
thought partners, sparring, editing. Mm-hmm. I put agreements into it and they found little typos and stuff, uh, which has been great. You don't want typos in your agreements. But yeah, like it's getting more and more powerful every day. I think we can't ignore it. And keeping a browser tab, I've started noticing this with people that I talk to that are marketers. They have the chat GPT tab pinned to their browser. You can right click a tab mm-hmm. and pin it. And so mm-hmm. the people I know people are using it more and more for, for all kinds of things. And uh, you know, even things like what would go into a social media plan, you know, and then you're like, okay, like if you're doing a session and you want to try to DIY with your team, like, or what should go in a vision v- values mission statement or whatever mm-hmm. yeah, document, like it can give you prompts to think as an organization, if you can't say afford to work with some fancy consultant for whatever reason or whatever. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and I like, I just want to also just say like, I don't think it's something we should be afraid of. I think it's something we should ab- embrace and utilize. It's yeah. a tool to make your work better. It's not something yeah. to be afraid of. Cause I, you know, I think so many people have heard a lot of the FUD around it and don't be afraid. Well, yeah. Just check it yeah. out. I heard the other day on a podcast, I think it was Seth Godin saying like, you know, a hundred years, like 8 billion jobs have been created that weren't created that didn't exist a hundred years ago. So AI is going to come and then there's going to be several more like new things are going to be created. And so I thought that was interesting. So it's not going to replace like our whole lives. And I'm not worried about it uh, critically other than every tool has the capacity for evil. So like, whatever, can't do anything with that. But there was another thing I was going to say, and I can't remember it now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm just overall, I'm a, I'm an advocate for AI and just sort of just learning it and exploring it. Oh, what I was going to say was that it's not going oh, to, I lost my thought, but it's anyway, okay. I'm an it's advocate okay. For AI and, He'll grab uh, it. I'll come back to it. I'll grab it. I'll come back to it, but okay. Uh, yeah, embrace it and try it and lean into it. You know, it's a, it's a useful tool. Oh yeah. Sorry. What I was going to say is like, in order to, if you want something done really well, a human's going to need to, to do it for you. And so if you want to check a box and to like produce a, Twitter post, a social media post, whatever, then AI can do that for you. So really, or if you want even to vid- edit your video and find clips for your audio, let's say you have a podcast and you want to find clips, AI can do a version of that. If you want it done right, there's always going to be humans. So I wouldn't lean overly mm-hmm. on AI as like the savior yet. It's really a tool to assist and make more efficient your work and hire people when something matters enough, because there's a big difference between AI produced content or work versus non-AI. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then just switching gears into more of you personally, um, just like we started out and just going for full circle back to the beginning, you've got a lot going on. And I know you're really busy, which is fantastic because you must be producing results. So how do you unwind and how do you take care of your mental health? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question these days because having two very young kids means you're not sleeping and you don't have a lot of extra free time. What I try to do is just find activities on the weekends, like going to, it's all very kind of kid centric now, whether it's my kid's soccer game or going to farms or going for drives or, you know, I'm going away for four days uh, next weekend and I'm going to do a spa morning, you know, with my wife. So that's going to give us a little bit, and I haven't done that in a little while. So I think finding little ways to be selfish is really important whenever you can. And just to reinvest, mm-hmm. I think breaks are, are a prerequisite for hard work, not a reward. And so I think we really need to value that, especially because life has been just go, go, go for the last many years for a few of us, for, for most of us. And so those things, or if I can go to the movies or go out for dinner, little things like that are kind of my, my yeah, wins right now. They matter. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Good. And then we're super looking forward to you moderating a panel at GC Canada in Toronto at IQ offices. And other than your panel, what are you most looking forward to at GC? 
I'm ex- I haven't been to an event since since the pandemic, so I'm just excited to mm. reconnect with people, reconnect with others, uh, other Canadians, and mo- I presume they're mostly going to be Canadians. But based on a few of the other panelists and a few of the other guests that are are expecting to come, it's nice to meet some people for the first time in real life or to reconnect mm-hmm. after several years. And, you know, uh, just to hang out in IQ in the vault, it's a beautiful uh, facility <laughs> in a really nice old bank building and been there a bunch of times. And I yeah, just excited to really re-engage with the co-working community and get to know some more Canadian operators. It's not often you get to do that. So it's a really nice little opportunity to, you know, get together. Amazing. Well, we've got tremendous momentum. Ticket sales are hopping and it's going to be really great. So I'm super looking forward to it. And then I have one last question for you, Kevin. And that question is, what should I have asked you that I didn't? What's the most important thing to focus on when it comes to your marketing? If you were to ask me some kind of pointed question that forced me to reduce everything down. <laughs> I think, what, like, so I'm a big believer in like all all the things you're doing really, obviously there's the feelings and everything else and and that create the overall experience. And that's really important. But in terms of performance marketing, in terms of getting members in your space, you have to have analytics, you have to track things. And really it can be very simple. Like how much did we spend on marketing? How many leads did we get? And how many new clients, new members did we acquire for that money at a very high level? And then if you can drill that down to, well, 80% of our revenue comes from offices. So we're going to weight 80% of our expenses toward offices. Theoretically, what's our cost per acquisition for offices, co-working, like however you're basically taking a percent of your revenue and allocating your marketing expenses mentally toward that and just kind of getting a sense of what's our acquisition cost overall? What's our acquisition cost for new office members and new co-working members, new virtuals, new, new meeting rooms? And just look at that. And if that is within a one to two month payback period, if you are acquiring members at, you know, my target is around one month of, of, of membership rev- revenue for that particular category. If you're anywhere within the first one or two or three months, usually it's one to two, if you do it right, go spend more money, go invest in ads and other things and whatever you need to do to continue to work that engine and improve, get more people to your site because you're buying money at that point. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, I want to keep my ad spend really low, maybe a thousand bucks. But then you look at their acquisition costs. You're like, look, you're getting people, you're getting new members. Mm-hmm. You're, you're getting paid back for that acquisition cost, all in marketing costs in the first month or two. There's no reason not to spend as much money as you can on marketing. As long as that number remains consistent. Yes. You figure out which parts are contributing to those leads and where you're getting the highest results independently. But if the net net is you're spending this much on marketing and this is the outcome, then spend more, do more. There's no reason to hold back. So not having a marketing budget, but thinking of like a cost per acquisition and payback period budget then uh, and operating on that, I think is going to help people get a lot more members. People are just, we're nervous to spend money that doesn't work, but let's just track dollars in and leads slash new member acquisition out the cost of those things. And that's it. You don't need fancy reports. It's in and out. Yeah. If there's a, there's a quote that I'm going to mm-hmm. probably butcher that something like, um, you can't improve what you can't measure. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, and a lot of people are flying blind. They're going on instinct and it's kind of directionally right. But if I told you, Liz, that today you give me a thousand bucks by the end of the year, I'll give you 10 grand and, and you can buy as many of those $10,000 increments as you want mm-hmm. up to a certain amount, a reasonable amount. You'd be like, yeah, let's do it. Sounds great. Yeah. And yet, Hunter. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not and, obvious and unless you, you look at the numbers. 
And I'm sure our listeners are now understanding why you're such a busy human, because you're so articulate, you know what you're doing, and you produce results. And that's why Kevin's a hard guy to get, because he's running a good business and knows what he's doing. And I love it. And I bet you're going to get a lot of leads after this, my friend. Well, uh, you know, I hope so. And obviously, there are only so many people I can help, but hopefully I can design a business that makes it easier to offer what I do to more people. And that's something I want to look into for maybe this and next year. But yeah, for now, it's just, I'm happy to help people if they have questions or they just need an SEO person. Someone emailed me about that today or a web person. Always happy to make referrals. Uh, not everyone can hire me. So at least mm-hmm. happy to point people in the right direction, if nothing else. And I love that you have some free resources on your website. That's awesome. So how can people find you if they want to reach out? Uh, you can head over to everspaces.com. E-V-E-R-S-P-A-C-E-S.com. And there's a, uh, there's a, a co-working marketing plan worksheet you can get, which kind of prompts you with a number of questions to think about how you're approaching all areas of your marketing. And uh, there's an email list that I write not as frequently as I used to, but we'll be getting back more into. Uh, so the, everything is right there on everspaces.com. Amazing. All right. Well, I will see you in Toronto. And in the meantime, I hope you and your wife and your two youngins are continuing to thrive and you get some good family time. Thank you, Liz. It's, it's great to see you again. And I look forward to seeing you in Toronto uh, this, uh, this fall. We'll be there. Take care, y'all. And we'll see you on the next Juicy Podcast.